Hey, welcome back, everybody. It's great to be with you again on our podcast. This is episode five of the songs that we sing. My name is John Lemons. I'm the minister to young adults here at First Baptist Church, and I'm joined by our ministry resident for young adults, Sam Maxwell, and our contemporary worship minister, Charlie Lowry. So good to be with you guys. Uh, this is our last episode of this format. S- super sad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I promised I wouldn't cry. Yeah. But it's been good. So so we'll definitely like we, we have plans to <laughs> to bring Charlie back. <laughs> Sam just slurped. Sam's already the mic. choking. He's so <laughs> He's sad. So He's so sad. Yeah, for real. <laughs> um so yeah, it's been it's been so good. I I'm, I am excited. We're going to keep doing uh, a podcast, but we're just going to switch it up each month with different things. So what we have lined up for next month, I'll go ahead and let you guys know so our listeners will be the first to know this. Next month we are going to do uh, a four-week series on the Enneagram, and we're going to be joined by Scott and Allie Day. Uh, we started this. This was going to be like a Wednesday night study uh, way back in March before like coronavirus was a thing, and I think we got one week into it, and it was really popular. It was, uh, we packed out the community room, and then we had to stop. So we're going to pick up that conversation and uh, and continue with that through the through the month of September. And one of the things I can't wait for that. Yeah, it's. I'm I think it's going to be really good, and and obviously it's all about. Uh, kind of knowing yourself and knowing, um, you know, what it is that motivates you and what it is that's, you know, that kind of root who you are deep down inside. And there are a lot of Christian, um, I mean, like ancient Christian founders of the faith, uh, kind of, kind of, you know, the, the fathers of the faith that w- that will say like um, Augustine and Origen and guys like that who will talk about, um, you know, really, if you want to understand God, if you want to know God, you have to know yourself first. And so we'll we'll dive into a lot of that. And then I'm really excited about what we have planned for October. I'm not ready yet to announce what that'll be, but it's going to be really awesome. And we'll sort of drop uh, a clue about that come mid-September. Uh, and then we'll get into uh, November and December and see what those hold. But um, we've talked about some preliminary things for that as well. And uh, just be looking out for that. I think I think we'll have some fun together. Um, also, just wanted to really highlight something really quick that was one thing that I learned this past week. I got an email from Charlie, but I was like, who's this email from? Because in the, in the header, it said from Charlotte Larry. And I was like, who's Charlotte? And then I was like, Oh, it's Charlotte. Yeah. Like I, you know, I figured that Charlie was short for something, but I never really thought about what it could be for, but it's, it's Charlotte. It it is. I like to tell people, yes, indeed. I am that famous. I need a second name. (laughs) That is, um, yeah, it's, it's just my birth name, Charlotte. I have no tie to either one other than the way Charlie, I like to say my name found me. Nice. Um, but I, I was bullied in grade school. And um, at the time I was going to a magnet school in a different part of town. And I didn't have a lot of friends there. Loved the curriculum and loved doing that. But I started really getting bullied bad. And so when I transferred to my local zone school, I was like, I was encouraged by my counselor, take on a new name maybe or a new nickname. And so kids in the class, when they met me, they're like, you should call yourself Charlie. And it just kind of stuck. Uh, but my husband calls me Charlotte. My family calls me Charlotte. And my husband did not know me when I was a kid. So you are allowed to call me either one. I'll, I'll answer to both, but I'll probably give you a funny look if you call me Charlotte, because I'm not accustomed to it, but it makes me happy. That's awesome. And so, and Charlotte was the name that you used for your dog sitting business. Is that right? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, because for legal reasons, I, I needed to make sure that like checks got written correctly, I guess. But um, often when I would introduce myself to clients like Charlie or Charlotte, whichever you remember first, it doesn't matter to me. Nice. Um, nice. Well, I, mean, I was really I, pulling for Charlemagne. Was nice. Nice. <laughs> I was uh, I was listening. Actually, we, we had talked about this before last week and then when we recorded the show i made a reference to charlotte lowry dog sitting and then i realized when i listened to it i'm like nobody's going to know what i'm talking about because the rest of it's not on there but uh yep. so that was where that reference came from uh and i will say like charlie woods and charlotte lowry i've never seen the two of them together in the same room you you have like your own alias and it's it's really wow. super sneaky and super awesome so hats well, off to you it's not deceitful yeah 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 <laughs> that's i can't i can't claim that but good for you that's, that's that's really awesome it's good to know that side of you as well yeah. i'm sorry to hear about the bullying because elementary school and middle school that's so hard that's well so you hard. know what that's a great transition into today's song it is a great transition into today's song before we get there i want to touch on one other thing from last week so we talked a little bit about cancel culture at the end of last week's episode and then um two things happened almost immediately one was <laughs> the cincinnati reds broadcaster used a pejorative term for the lgbtq community and was caught on air 
doing that. He didn't know they'd come back from commercial. And uh, he, he has since at least been suspended, um, probably will lose his job. And then, the, and then there was a lot of Jerry Falwell stuff, um, some more fallout from all of that. So I do want to say real quick on cancel culture, just to clarify, if anybody was wondering, um, I do think there's a difference between things that are, um, you know, that are understood now as to be, you know, things that, you know, or immoral or things that, you know, are problematic. Uh, I think when there are things now that we've kind of agreed upon as a culture that are things that are, are, are really gray area or, or over the line, there should be repercussions for that. And there should be kind of reparations for that. You shouldn't be able to just kind of be like, oh, I didn't mean it and walk right back into whatever it is that you were doing. Um, but there's a difference between that and, you know, something that happened, you know, 25 years ago or something that, mm-hmm. you know, someone that lived at a different time that's not even alive now and, and kind of uncovering something of theirs. And so I, I think if I could um, illustrate this in a certain way, I'd say, you know, let's imagine hypothetically, let's just say like 25 years ago, you know, we didn't know what we know now about like drunk driving. And let's say that, you know, maybe at that time it wasn't illegal. And let's say Sam was a drunk driver and hurt somebody. And then now 25 years later, we've discovered this and it's now illegal. And we're like, well, Hey, like, well, Sam, you know, Sam hurt somebody and he was a drunk driver. Should we penalize him for what he did 25 years ago? So I think that's kind of where cancel culture uh, concerns me a little bit because when your standards are different or when you just don't know, you know, that something's over the line or, you know, if somebody has, has demonstrated that they're not in a repeated pattern of this, then I think, um, I think we do have to have room for a little bit of grace and room for a little bit of understanding that, you know, hopefully they've grown since then. Um, there's, mm-hmm. there's a difference between someone who's 35 and someone, uh, and who, and who they were when they were 18. So, um, you know, I, I think we can assume that people change and uh, hope that they've changed. And if they've demonstrated patterns that they've changed, I, I don't think you can hold their past against them, but if they're doing yeah. stuff now, that's questionable. I think we totally have to hold them accountable for that. So I did want to clarify that on that discussion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes, but a uh, PSA, uh, don't drink Welch's and drive. Right? I think that's yeah. yeah. Well, let's jump into uh, this week's topic. So the song that we are doing this week is a song called peace. And I'm going to bet that most of our listeners probably haven't heard it. So we'll, um, we'll link to a video for the song in our show notes. Uh, we'll get, we're going to dive into a few things with this week's song. It is a little controversial. Um, I will also say uh, this song is not by Hillsong. It's by Hillsong Young and Free. And there is a difference. Like Hillsong is sort of the, the original. Hillsong Young and Free is the whippersnappers. Um, the kind of a, well, there's also many. Yeah, there's yeah. Like Hillsong United. Hillsong United, Hillsong yeah. No. Hillsong Countries. Yeah. yeah, there's yeah, there's so many Hillsongs. So this is Hillsong Young and Free, but it is a song called uh, peace and it is a song that we have not done yet in first fellowship but i want to say it's going to be coming up probably pretty soon so uh, i suspect in a few weeks so you guys should look out for that but we're going to talk about a little bit behind the story behind it um first and foremost it is a song just a quick touch on the background that really is wrestling with anxiety and i think that is such a timely topic especially now it came out one or two years ago and it was a timely topic then, but I think particularly with what we are going through as a culture worldwide, um, it's definitely definitely something that's very much uh, a, a necessary topic to talk about now. I know um, just in what we're doing here and now, I, I get messages almost weekly from people, and a lot of times from people who have no connection to our church. I mean, the first time I'm hearing from them, they're reaching out to them via our website or whatever, saying you know, hey, I'm, I'm really lonely or, you know, hey, I'm, I'm struggling right now. And I think a lot of people can say that that's kind of what um, that's a result of, of, you know, what we've had to do as a society with coronavirus. Um, and, and I think, too, anxiety and mental health are things that have come to the surface for this this upcoming gen- generation. Um, they have more pressures on them than any other previous generation has ever had and have had really to deal with things almost like they are adults before they are adults. And uh, there's a lot of anxiety that goes with that. This song was written. One of the, one of the, um, the songwriters talks about it in another video that we'll link to in the show notes uh, where he was, he had gotten engaged and right after they'd gotten his engaged, his fiance was professionally diagnosed with anxiety disorder. And he talked about uh, wanting to write a song that she could sing and wanting to write a song that would resonate with with her, and so they did that. And uh, if you if you look at the words of the song, it deals a lot with that. I'll, I'll look at the lyrics really quickly. 
They say, you will stay true even when the lies come. Your word remains truth even when my thoughts don't line up. I will stand tall on each promise you made. Let the rest fade away. There's a peace far beyond all understanding. May it ever set my heart at ease. Dare anxiety come. I'll remember that peace is a promise you keep. Peace is a promise you keep. And then the second verse is, you will stay true even in the chaos. Your word remains truth even when my mind wreaks havoc. I will be still for I've known all along my Jehovah Shalom. There's a peace far beyond all understanding. May it ever set my heart at ease. What anxiety fails to remember is peace is a promise you keep. Peace is a promise you keep. And then the last verse is, you are peace to a restless soul. Peace when my thoughts wage war. Peace to the anxious heart. That's who you are. So this is really what that song is addressing. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about that real quick. We'll talk about the style of the song because if you listen to it, it's clearly very different as far as um, you know instrumentally. Uh, and then we'll talk about, uh, again, this, this issue of anxiety. But back to kind of the story of the song, there's a video that w- went with it that was a very controversial video. Um, and we'll link to that as well. And basically in the video, um, there's a, a, a number of uh, females who are covered in these white veils with crowns on. And then there's one female and sort of this red veil. Uh, and one of the, the females in the white veil gets up, takes off her crown, the, the white veil falls off, and she walks towards the red, red veiled woman. And it's really mysterious. It's really artistic. And so we'll talk about that as well. Like where does artistic expression and where does kind of the uh, amb- ambiguity of art come and fall into, uh, into Christian realms? So art, uh, worship style, and anxiety, we're going to cover those three things today. And we'll leave some things for you to talk about with your Bible study group as well. So the first thing I want to talk about with Charlie is worship style, because I think that's one thing um, I don't know that we always understand or know, uh, you know, how influential music is uh, in our lives as we are forming who we are. Um, I read a study by uh, actually by Spotify that said that um, the average male, uh, the favorite song for the average male is a song that they heard when they were 14. And the favorite song of a female is a song that they heard when they were 11. So that tends to be kind wow. of what defines you. That's that, you know, what you like at that age is, is those very formative years. And um, that tends to define kind of your style for the rest of your life, as far as what you look for and what you appreciate in music. So that being said, um, there's a, a moving trend and you'll see that with this song of contemporary worship music being less guitar driven and more sort of a synthesized or techno feel and particularly in urban settings um, in, in multi-ethnic settings, you'll see this more and more. I think it's probably a decade or more away from being in settings like Huntsville, but I think probably Charlie, you've encountered it a little bit more in Nashville. Although I would think Nashville is more of a guitar driven setting, but less and less so. So let's talk about yeah, that. Not necessarily. Let's um, talk about well, emerging worship styles and, and your yeah. Family. So um, it's actually kind of like a going joke. So like, if you were a worship leader in the era of, I don't know, 2000, 2003, all the way into like 2010, 2012, you uh, highlighted your guitar players. And if you went on stage, you could look at any given guitar player's board and it'd be the size of a desk, like their pedal board, because of all the effects and all the cool stuff they're doing with their guitars. Nothing against guitar players. I play guitar too. Um, But then now there's been a shift towards the keys player on a worship band. And around that same kind of 2012 shift when the sound started changing people started um you know making music just with their laptops now you have these kids that are literally they can they're considered musicians because they're putting out music and people are buying it and they don't own an instrument they own a laptop and they're making these tracks and these beats and these uh, you know because of thanks to samples and you can sample anything now because the quality of microphones has risen to to what it is and It's the era of availability, the era of access. So the fact that kids are able to do this, there's, there has been like a huge conversation of, um, I actually follow a collective, um, our band, in fact, in First Fellowship, we have a course program where we kind of take on this coaching and education um, from this company called both the Worship Initiative and um, Worship Ministry School. So Worship Ministry School is by a place um, or a company called Churchfront, and they have a really great podcast if you like to check them out. But there was a podcast I was listening to recently by Churchfront that talked about this of like, 
are we just going to not have, you know, are we headed to a place where on the stage there's no musicians and just like eight laptops sitting there? Um, and that's a valid question because the reason why with that shift that I talked about earlier in 2012, when it's heavily keys centered, the reason why is because a keyboard is a fantastic place to set a laptop. And so also thanks to what's called MIDI control, um, capitals, M I D I MIDI. Does that go with Dagad or whatever? No, 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 but it is probably another acronym that's going to confuse the heck out of you. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. Well, um, totally well. <laughs> because of MIDI, you can literally take a keyboard and make the keys buttons and a controller of sorts. And so you can set anything that you want to be a section of a keyboard. And, and so any noise, you can literally assign like John could scream right now. And if I'm recording it and I can make that into a MIDI control and put if I have my laptop on my keyboard, I can press that key if I assign it to it and John will scream like it's incredible the kind of technology we're able to do now but i say all that to say i i subscribe to the thought and and the idea that um expression will always shine through before um production and the great part is the way that i visualize when music is working and when music is doing what god created it to do by the way god made those things um it's when those two things come together, when expression and production are working in sync and pardon the pun in harmony, then to achieve a common goal of portraying an idea, portraying an emotion, portraying a story heavily in, in on country music. And which by the way, side note, a common misconception about Nashville is that it's so prevalent, prevalent, prevalently, is that a word? It Gentlemen, is now, intellectuals? just made one up, yes. <laughs> it's so, um guitar heavy or predominantly uh country but nashville nashville is music city it's not just country music city so there any genre that you can think of it has a thriving scene in nashville and it may um it there may be others like in say new york like in the in show tunes and broadway and a lot of blues um, or jazz is in new york and then la you've got a lot of pop um but nashville has a pocket of all of them and it's the best people of those genres so they it if you get like one person that's in like ska or reggae they move to nashville because they're the best in their city and immediately like it doesn't take long for that scene to just boom so um yeah guitar is or nashville's pretty guitar heavy but um it's also laptop heavy too like i said i mean yeah. you have these kids that are making these beats like this and it's it's it shouldn't be shut down. I don't disagree with it. Um, I think that it allows a lot of freedom for, like I said, expression, but I also believe in, you know, the story being portrayed. And if you are, if you're accomplishing that goal, whether you're using a laptop or my husband, he was recording one, one year, about like 10 years ago, he was recording an, a little EP and he liked the way that the bottom of his shoe sounded when he hit a pen to it. And so he literally held it up to the mic and did this and like sampled a percussion sound for that and it sounded cool and you wouldn't know that but you listen to it but there's also acoustic guitar in there right. so i don't know i believe in blending the two yeah. um and that they're both very very vital in expression yeah i think um i, I just think we're gonna see this i think we're already seeing it in big cities number one i'll give you a, a case in point so um i've gone for several years i've, I've been in full-time ministry now for 15 years in 2000 the late first decade of the 2000s um, whatever that's called. Is it the aughts? I don't even know. What, what do we call the first decade? 2000, the zeros? I don't know. Anyways, um, oh. <laughs> I would go to the Catalyst Conference, which is in, in Atlanta, which is put on by Andy Stanley, always like- Hip hop heavy. Uh, what well, is now? That's the thing. Like it's, it's cutting edge. But at the time in 2007, 2009, when I was going, it was all band driven and guitar driven. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. um, I've started, I've gone back the last couple of years and it's now more of a blend. There's a little bit of that. And then, and then another band will come on and it'll be this uh, laptop kind of driven sound. And um, it was really the first time I was aware that like, oh, like this is, this is changing. Uh, the, the music scene, the worship music scene is changing. And, and to be honest, like I didn't like it as much. I didn't, it didn't, it didn't jive with me as well. And I really, I was like, I'm the old guy now that like complains about the music and, and the church service. Um, so it just didn't resonate with me because it wasn't a part of, you know, what's formative for me. But if you talk to my high school kid, she doesn't listen to what I listen to. She doesn't like the music that I like. Um, I tell her like, Hey, this is a band you need to at least be familiar with. You don't need to like them, but you need to know like who 
Nirvana was or whatever, you know. Um, because they inspired the bands right, that you do. Right, exactly. Right, exactly. Exactly. So, um, but there are bands today that are that are still making albums. Um, the Killers just came out with an album this week. Uh, Coldplay still making music. But, did they really? Yeah, they did. But again, high schoolers aren't listening to the Killers. Like they're making those yeah. albums for us. So, um, I say all that to say, like, it's the music's going to consistently change and evolve, and and the things that people are listening to are going to. And um, there's a responsibility, I think, for worship leaders to adapt to that. But um, I think we are a little bit more kind of behind. I mean, we're in Huntsville. Um, we're not on that cutting edge and, and typically you're, you're going to see this hit, you know, New York and LA and, and big cities like that, Miami, a little bit more. Um, Kerry Newhoff is a, is a leader, uh, pastor we've talked about on here before. He always, he says, you know, if you're in a big city and you have a primarily guitar driven worship, you're not contemporary anymore. And so, um, I, th- I take offense to that well, by the way. Well here, and here, but here's the other side of that. I think that Style is important, but I think more than that, I think excellence is important no matter what you yeah. do. So I, that, and that's what I was meaning about production. Like it, if you're expressing what you're supposed to be expressing, you can do that well or you can do that bad. Right. Like it, right. if you're doing it well and you, you have that excellence in mind or you're at least striving for that, that will show through in what you're expressing, whether it's with a guitar or with a laptop to the side. Right. Yeah, excellent and authenticity. I think. Yeah, yeah. So regardless exactly. of your style of music, you know, if you're not worshiping authentically, or the worship isn't being led authentically, mm-hmm. um, and I think that goes back to kind of what you said earlier, John, just kind of this introduction to what do we think about worship and styles of worship. Um, something that struck me years ago is uh, one of the most formative things in a Christian's life as they're being raised in the church is what they experience in worship. Right. You know, they're not necessarily going to be able to repeat sermons, but they're going to understand how the church works. They're going to understand what worship looks like. They're going to understand the movements and the patterns of an authentic Christian life by what they experience and participate in as a child in worship. Yeah. And, and yeah. I, th- I actually am planning to touch on that a little bit more in October. But yeah, like basically people resonate with, particularly in worship, what was formative for them. And, and we've had these, this conversation offline a lot. But, you know, I'll talk to young adults who are coming here. And they go to our sanctuary service and I'll say, you know, what is it? Why did, why did you land at First Baptist? And they'll say, because it reminds me of the church I grew up in, or that reminds me mm-hmm. of some experience they had when they were a kid where at a traditional, in a traditional setting, that was formative for them. Primarily what you'll find with young adults is their formative years were in their teenage years or even in college. And probably their exposure to what formed them spiritually happened at camp or happened in campus ministry mm-hmm. where the music was more uh, cutting edge or, or high energy. And so they equate that with, you know, spirituality or, or the, the growth in their life. And so you see that and that's why people gravitate to the styles that they gravitate to. Um, so again, that, you know, just gets into as, as we continue to grow, as we continue to age, we're going to need to be a little bit more in touch with, with those who are, um, you know, coming out of college and in their twenties and that kind of thing. But at the same time, I mean, be true to who we are. Um, yeah. and be excellent and if at I can what add we a, do. If I can add a side note to that too, there's there's something to be said about corporate worship um, because when you start getting into, okay, well, how, as a worship leader, how are you portraying this? How are you leading from a worship pulpit for your church? If at least this is what I'm taking in and I'm learning um, from people that I'm following and gleaning from and, and elders and council is that it has to come from a place of authenticity, just like Sam had said, and that gets into like my brand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's, I'm all about that. But also you have to lead from a place of corporate worship because that's essentially, if it's going to be gospel centered, it's, it's centered around that we are created for a community and we're created to do these things together. Obviously you can worship, worship wherever you want. And, and many friends of mine and I have too, like they worship in their car or they have a private moment where you can, which I encourage you to do, but there's something that happens in corporate worship and it's just as sacred and necessary. And, you know, whatever allows that to happen, I think is, going to ebb and flow with the culture at the time. Um, Because this is the thing, I play guitar, I play acoustic guitar, I can get hired or do a like host a camp where I'm the only one there. Mm -hmm. And I can have just as much or lead and help facilitate just as many breakthroughs as I can if I'm on stage at Kairos where we have like a 20, 20 people on stage at any given time or and not to mention if we have a choir too. So there's there's it it just gets back to like excellence like you were saying and authenticity that if it's 
you have to pay attention to the job that you're actually doing um, and how that's facilitated, I think, can completely ebb and flow with a given culture at the time. Glean is a, a very biblical word. So kudos, <laughs> true. This, points. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and the one thing I like about, by the way, like, and let me say this, like, Charlie, I appreciate the excellence that you bring. And I texted Charlie and Sam uh, the last couple of weeks as, as I've put this together and I've, you know, thrown, uh, not thrown, but placed Charlie's songs at the end. Like it, it it's moving. It's bring, brought me to tears uh, several times. So I do appreciate that. And uh, totally not knocking your style at all because your style is authentic. Oh, your style is excellent. Thanks. Let's move into artistic expression, though, because, you know, I talked a little bit about the controversy of the um, of the video. And we talked a few weeks ago when we had Michael Boggs on just about the room uh, that, that Christian artists have to, to be expressive and to, you know, push boundaries a little bit. So um, Mm -hmm. Charlie, talk about that um, sort of tension you feel as someone who is an artist uh, between being authentic um, and and pushing boundaries or being thought provoking versus, you know, Mm -hmm. being someone who, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, has, has more of a broader appeal um, where you, where you don't, you don't push those boundaries a little bit. Yeah. So as a background too, to help maybe others that are listening to this better understand me, because I am still technically pretty new here um, at FBC, I come from a pretty diverse um, church culture. If you are watching the video, I'm doing the quotes, church culture background. Um, I was saved in a non-denominational church, was then baptized there um, spontaneously. I decided to be baptized one day. None of my, my family didn't come with me. I was not raised in church. Um, And then I eventually started volunteering at a church of God church and um, now frequently worship at another Baptist church in Nashville. I have volunteered at a church of God of prophecy church and have uh, assisted in leading worship at a tiny church there in, in Douglasville where my husband's parents live. So I've, I've gotten a pretty good um, at least I'd like to say exposure of several different cultures within the church and denominations and often polarizing. So just know that is the standpoint that I'm coming from. Um, I like to think that it's, I try and be as unbiased as possible, but I also believe that I think the um, conversation and the dialogue in church needs to continue to be as diverse as possible and well-balanced. Now to reflect that into art and expression, um, as worship leaders, I believe that our job, like I had mentioned before, is to influence corporate worship and remind people of the truths that can be found in the word and in the message that is about to be um, preached by the preacher coming up on stage. So to remind people of those things and to help connect others to um, many times the Holy Spirit. And that's why I talk about the Holy Spirit so often as I do, because, um, and someone had mentioned this just a few minutes ago, often um, one of our strongest connections to God or our foundational moments and breakthroughs in our Christian walk is during worship. And that's not by accident. That's not coincidence. That's because of how we were formed and the power that music has on us. There are um, cases and studies being made on people with Alzheimer's and dementia um, where music happens to be something that they're able to remember. They can't remember their own name, but they'll remember lyrics to a song that they were listening to when they were 16, um, like in the 60s or in the 50s. And it's incredible. Um, there's, and, and it's actually something I say that studies have been done, which they have, but there's something about that part of the brain that scientists actually can't grasp. They can't understand and, um, fully write out and explain to others why this is happening. And spoiler alert, as a, as a, you know, that wild, weird Jesus freak Christian of me, I'm like, well, it's because of Jesus, it's the way that God made us and the way that God made our brains to connect to music in that way. Yeah. So when it comes to expression in like music videos and worship and, and portrayal, for one, like end note, I didn't find anything offensive about the video. What I found most offensive was what the church did to the video. If, if you go and you, you look at, for one, there are a plethora of debate videos that have been made about this controversy by Christians or people that call themselves Christians. I'm, I'm going to get heated because this makes <laughs> me really mad if you can't tell. Um, and they, there's one in particular, and I'm going to be, uh, I need to show grace and not make fun of this person because he's has his own walk. But um, there's this man that made a video and he's like in his garage and it's this really crummy webcam that he set up on his like toolbox and he's sitting on a tail like his 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 trunk bed 
of his car and he's just hollering at the camera about how YouTube took down his first video about Hillsong and he's going to get through the algorithm and talk about him now. And he goes on for like 60 minutes just hollering about how this is demonic and it's, you know, leading people to the devil and it's you're you guys are going to hell. And, and that's so far from what I believe for one Paul tells Philippians to work out your own salvation through fear and trembling. Mm-hmm. I, I want to try and stay on point here because this is probably just a topic that we need to discuss in another podcast, but it starts to get into an area that I'm extremely passionate about when it comes to um, the, I like to call them like the extra lost or the people that maybe think of those that have dabbled or have struggled with homosexuality or have dabbled or struggled with new age or things that are often um, polarized and people that are um, often pushed out of the church and that are burned by the church. Those people, spoiler alert, are often the most expressive and they're often the people that are most in touch with being creative and and making things. And what I think people, and I'm thinking of the people in particular that are making these terrible videos and, and these terrible comments, um, often, you know, obviously they're the loudest and Um, The world likes to think that they represent the whole church, which they don't. But what I think they're missing is that they are in need of more Jesus than any of us, period. But it's because what God made them to do and what God has gifted them with is being manipulated by the enemy. And the enemy knows that. So the enemy is going to go after those people and steer them away from Jesus as often as he can. Whereas Jesus has a different narrative for them and wants to, he's longing for them to come to him. And I just, I just think that if people that are so quick to critique these things and these expressions made by the church, then like, not to mention, this isn't an LGBTQ band that's making this video. This is a church. This is a worship group that's making this video. If these, these critics would not be so quick to just critique and judge and and pick out pieces of this and that they perceive as I just feel I just I feel a chill and I feel a coldness come over me and I, you know what and, and it points back to that scripture Paul does say work out your own salvation if you're in trembling so I, I believe that that discernment is necessary and I'm sure John you'll talk more on that but in terms of just expression I don't believe that's doing the job of Jesus and I I think that Um, Jesus was very clear on his directions for us of what we should be doing to others here. And it's just, it is pretty black and white to me. It's simply put, I don't think critiquing these things and um, to the level that uh, generally the public has so much so where Hillsong had to remove the video. I don't believe that's what Jesus asked us to do. Um, And if he did, or if, if there's a place for that, and often, you know, looking in things like Proverbs and, and Paul's other letters, um, there have been directions given to us. I think it's much more on a private level um, than the general public has made it out to be, or has, has now created this narrative to be that that's my piece about that. I hope that it's gospel centered enough, but (laughs) I get pretty heated about it. Well, let me touch on um, following that. A um, there's an article that I'll, I'll link to in the show notes, and, and but I want to read how they close talking about this about artistic expression, and they say among the layers of backlash is also a collection of responses of those who outright refuse to take the video on its own terms. It's a problem that many Christian artists have faced and continue to face. Many audiences aren't comfortable with artistic expression that uses elements that are not overtly clear and make use of compelling imagery language and metaphor for example there are literally people who believe the the lion the witch and the wardrobe goes too far they finish by saying christian artists are artists they use music imagery and other forms of creative expression to communicate not just ideas but feelings in eye-opening ways what hillsong young and free did in the video was just that hopefully some in the church will eventually give their creators and artists the ability to fully use the gifts god has given them instead of forcing them to apologize for it. And I think, Charlie, that touches on what you were saying there. And, and I think for me, um, I think where people find problems with the video, and again, we'll link to it, and, and I you know, challenge you to watch it. Um, yeah, form your own opinion. Absolutely. Uh, you know, a lot of people are saying, you know, because the person is, is um, you know, in, in white and they're taking that off and they have a crown and they're taking that off, they, they talk about how there's, there is a lot of biblical imagery of, of mm-hmm. how we are pure in Christ and how we are, crowned you know uh, in glory and they see it as a rejection of that 
Um, I actually do not think that's what the video is saying. Now, again, art is open to interpretation, but mm -hmm. what it made me think of when I was in, when, when I was in youth group, when I was in college ministry, there was a popular skit at the time that people would do to Bonnie Tyler's um, turnaround bright eyes. I think it was her, wasn't it her? I don't know. But anyways, turnaround bright eyes. And what would happen in the skit, it, was, it would be all these teenagers lined up and they'd have this sign hanging around their neck and the sign would say something like drugs or abuse or uh, depression or whatever. And then Jesus would come and he would walk around among the people and like, you know, grab them uh, and they would hold hands and form a circle and kind of dance around. And then they would all take their signs off and place them on Jesus. And it was supposed to be this symbolic image of, you know, being able to give our anxieties and our, and our cares and, and our, our uh, addictions to Jesus. And he takes that and frees us. I think this video is the opposite of that. And I think what it is, is a rejection. Uh, I think the symbolism of, of the crown and the white veil is a, a symbolism of the perfect portrayals that we mm -hmm. often make of ourselves on Instagram or whatever. And I think it is an artistic expression of rejecting that, of rejecting the pressure to feel like we have to present ourselves as perfect all the time and embracing who we are, flaws and all, um, and still seeking the peace that Jesus offers and still seeking, you know, who he says we are in that. Um, mm -hmm. Again, it's an artistic expression. It's vague. Um, it's left to interpretation, but um, I don't think it's that hard to draw that conclusion from that video. Uh, so that's that's where I land on it. Um, and I think I think a lot of people they're just not comfortable with anything new. Uh, they're not comfortable with anything that pushes boundaries. And uh, the church has always been that way. One of my favorite stories, um, you know, in the 13th century, I think it was, was when um, people first started eating with forks. And um, before then, I know this is a true story. People would eat with their bare hands, and there were there were um, like bishops and 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 uh, cardinals and, and and leaders in the church who were saying that forks were evil that you shouldn't eat with a fork oh because God. because only human hands were worthy of touching the bounty of God. I'm oh. not I'm not making this up. So I think there are always going to be things that people in the church are are resistant to. So um, nothing new under the sun. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think it kind of goes back to what you said earlier, John. A little bit of I mean, a little bit within the framework of cancel culture, right? We we have yeah. the privilege as modern people to have a new lens to be able to filter through culture and to filter history. And so if we can allow ourselves that freedom to have that lens, then can we not have or let our artists have lenses for themselves, right? I saw a Ooh. kind of a breakdown of Pablo Picasso. When he was 18, he did a self-portrait. At 30-something, he did a self-portrait. And at 70, he did a self-portrait. The very initial one was kind of what like you would expect a normal picture to look like, although a little fuzzy. Yeah, but as it went on, it became more and more Pablo Picasso's artistic yeah. expression. So would you tell Pablo Picasso as an 80-year-old, like, you don't have art that's not art, you're disrupting the form of the human and it's demonic or something, or you're propagating some sort of political idea. No, I think you would say like, oh, that's Pablo Picasso's like thing. That's his shtick. That's the way he observes the world and filters it and understands it through his creative lens. With all that being said, you know, I think, you know, I think one of the dangers of music and art is a lot of times it functions almost like a backdoor to the mind. Um, mm -hmm. So I know, John, you and I've had that conversation before about summer camps and cry nights, you know, sometimes they'll get the kids just tired enough and strung out enough that you just give them some compelling music and some compelling words and they'll just like start flowing. Um, but all, all those things said, right, I think there is license for artistic freedom and artistic expression. Um, I think God is a creative God, right? I mean, you know, to kind of sit and jest, like look at a platypus. We're like, well, what the heck is that? But like, you know, it, it's creative, it's fun. And I think the way a child plays is a lot kind of like God created the universe, right? Kind of mm -hmm. sticking things together, putting pieces together. Um, and even speaking more biblically, which is where I'm, uh, I feel like I can stand a little bit more. A lot of the biblical images have a very specific use, right? It, it's, you know, and that, I think that's one of the troubles with biblical interpretation is some people will take something from one book and run to another book in the Bible and say, well, this is the same thing without respecting the Bible is actually a collection of individually written books that are put into it's a library yeah it, it's a library so you can't go into like exodus and be like well this one person said this thing about a seagull and then go into paul's writing and be like oh paul has a seagull it obviously means this like sometimes it could but it doesn't have to mm -hmm. right you look at the garden of eden like sure you know satan or the enemy or however you want to put it is represented as a snake 
but we're not going out and having snake hunts because we say that all snakes are like evil, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. an artistic expression. It, it's saying something about what's going on in that narrative progression. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and that kind of leads into the next part of our discussion that I want to talk about, because I think, you know, one of the knocks on Christianity is that we don't get real very often. We don't, uh, we don't get raw. Uh, and you know, what happens when you start doing that is you're going to resonate with some people and you're going to find some people that are like, man, I'm so glad we went there because I needed this. And there's going to be other people that are like, this isn't, I'm uncomfortable. but yeah, but when you, when you do that, I think you then open doors for ministry to actually happen um, in people's lives. And, and, And I think you do need to open those doors a little bit. Um, Sam, for you, like what, what resonated with you or what, um, what were maybe some biblical themes or biblical passages that that you know uh came to came to mind when you were looking into this song yeah i mean i think just what really struck me when i was thinking about the song is simply just the controversy over the song right if you strip away all the imagery and you look at the words right then it it, you can kind of get to something else um but I, i think it's this like pervasive um like infection and virus that exists among Christians that we have to like live this perfect life. Like how, how terrible is it that the first difficult conversation we have about like mental, um, you know, mental issues, whether it's anxiety, depression or whatever else has to come through a song that people automatically label as demonic. Right. Thank you. Um, so I think that's the first thing that struck me and it just, it seems to never end. Um, and we talked a little bit last week that, people want to pretend to be perfect Um, or, you know, people want to say, Oh, well look at their lives. I'm not like them. I don't have their problems. I don't have their issues. But if you believe the gospel, right? If you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, right at the center of it is that we are imperfect beings that have succumbed to like a sinful nature. Mm -hmm. Um, Right. So we have to be delivered from our sinfulness, which divides us from God by divine intervention, literally. Um, and so that there, there's not one of us who is completely un, who's completely spared from any sort of like defect, if you will, because of the sin nature. Um, we're not in our perfect bodies. We're not in heavenly bodies that is to come at some point. And I think just to be very pointed, um, and I thought about it this morning, is that you can't authentically present yourself before God if you are in denial about the broken pieces of your life. Right. Um, yeah. And, and I think that's just something we do such a bad job at. Like, why, did, why does it have to be a bad thing that we, you know, people suffer from anxiety? Why can't it just be a, a human thing, right? You are human, you is. suffer from anxiety. You are human, you suffer from depression. You are human, therefore you have fears. You are human, therefore you have doubts about whether God's going to show up or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think just to back this up, looking to Second Corinthians, you know, Paul, the person who wrote majority of the New Testament, um, talks in chapter 12 about a thorn in his side. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. Theologians don't know exact theologians and biblical scholars more specifically don't know whether it was some sort of ailment. Was he, did he have sight issues? Did he have some sort of actual physical impairment? Um, so I, I think it's a really inauthentic expression of Christian faith to kind of walk around and pretend like we don't have thorns in our own sides. We don't have things in our lives that really keep us from perfection, but that's okay because we're not supposed to be perfect, perfect in these bodies because that's to come, right? Jesus is the perfection that we can never really level up to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the passage I thought of too. And he goes on to say, you know, the the word that he had from the Lord was, my strength is made perfect in your weakness, um, in mm-hmm. Paul's weakness, and, and my grace is sufficient for you. So I think mm-hmm. for, for all of us, we all struggle with something. Um, and so I think for all of us to understand that and to be able to live with that, and, and yes, it is a constant, struggle and it is a constant battle and mm-hmm. we're not necessarily going to overcome it. Um, we can, we can access tools and resources to help us in that struggle. Um, but I think, I think we've probably all experienced um, cases where, you know, we've prayed really hard for God to remove something from our lives and it doesn't, it doesn't happen. Um, mm-hmm. So what do you do with that? And I think when we can have that conversation and be real and be like, yeah, that happens. Hey, look, it happened to Paul. Um, then I think we can start actually doing ministry. And I think all too mm-hmm. often we don't get that honest in church and all too often we don't have those conversations. And then when we try to, something like this pops up and people, yep. people get their panties in a wad for lack of a better phrase right now. 
and and i think you know it is it is a shame like here's the first song that's really dealing with this that a lot of people can resonate with because this is a real thing that people deal with that we are not honest about and that we do not talk about and here's something I mean, that's why they wrote it right you brought that up in the video that's that's what they're saying and another passage that comes to mind too is the was it the prostitute that was um that came to jesus and um he had said the the men that were surrounding her yeah. ye who is blameless throw the first stone or ye who is um you scholars, help me out yeah you who is without sin throw the first stone yeah. and when they couldn't they left mm. and the, there's a there's two parts to that story and i think people only focus on the one part of like it's it's important to remember, and John, I've heard you quote this too, um, this part of scripture where Jesus says, go and sin no more. Right. And so so that that does come afterwards, but it's that's that constant reminder of Jesus too, where we're not, we aren't here to do God's job. We're not here to throw the first stone um, or to point blame and to point attention towards that. Because in fact, that draws us away from him um, when we focus on those things on each other. Yeah. Yeah, that's in John chapter eight, by the way. Yeah. Go ahead, sir. And to what I was getting at earlier, kind of the the need for not just authentic expression from the stage, but also also authentic expression from the people in the pews or in the seats. Um, and it doesn't stop there either. I think one of the big struggles that a lot of people have um, is what they do in their intentional, intimate communities. And I think that's worthy of a intentional communities, mm -hmm. right? Because how committed are we to one another when we hide these things? You know, there is a significant percentage of the male population of the United States that has or still continues to utilize pornography at some point in time. And that is still like a taboo thing. You know, if we're the place where the people who can admit that they're broken and hurting are supposed to come, then why can't we talk about the things that make Suppose, us broken yeah. and make us hurt? Exactly. Um, yeah. And walk and, with each other through recovering from those things. Yeah. Supposed to be the first place. A good church, by the way, and, and a resource for um, people that are struggling with that and a church that is uncovering the veil is Transformation Church in Tulsa. Um, many pastors on their team are very vocal about their, that part of their testimony that they've struggled with it and um, are very open to discussing how, how broken many, how broken many have become because of that. And, it, and this, my next point may uh, strike some ire from our Baptist listeners. Um, but you know, the, the Catholic Church has been known for a long time of having to go and do confession, mm -hmm. right? And a lot of times we're like, oh, it's the Catholic Church. We can't do anything to do with them because it's the Catholic Church and we are not Catholics. We are Baptist. We are distinctly Baptist in our own Baptist individual way. Um, but the Bible still tells us to go and confess our sins to one another. And it's right. not just, yeah. and sin is not like, hey, I went and I kicked a puppy. It's like, I missed the target. Like, I didn't live up to the perfection of Jesus. I am beneath that. Therefore, I am in sin. Right? Like, the Bible tells us to, to, to confess our sins to one another. And mm -hmm. what would it look like? if in our Bible studies and in our, in our classes or whatever else, we took time to say, you know what? I had really impure thoughts about someone I saw walking on the street, or I saw something in the newspaper about someone getting beat up or shot. And I was like, yeah, they deserved it. And then I realized, you know what? That's not very Jesus like, you know, or whatever it would be, or what would it look like if we had people who stepped up and said like, you know what? I had cheating thoughts about my spouse this week or I, whatever else, like what kind of transformation would we have in one another's lives? What type of transformation would the church see? What type of transformation would the world see if Christians were committed yeah. to this type of intimacy and authenticity with one another? Yeah. One of uh, the distinctive Baptist uh, um, beliefs and foundations is the priesthood of the believers, what we call it. And what that means is you don't need to go to a priest mm -hmm. to have access to God. But what it also means is we all have access to God and therefore like as we confess our sins to each other, we can grow together. We can pray for one another. We can check on one another, hold one another accountable. And I think everybody needs that in their life. You need someone that you can be real with. You need someone that, that um, knows who you really are, knows what you struggle with and can help push you and prod you along the way and can pray for you and can be, you know, that person you call at 11 PM or 3 AM or whatever, when you're struggling. Um, I think that's, that's a number one. Um, and then I think too, as you, as you move into that, as we walk into that, I think we become a more grace-filled group of people. And I think our lack of that, particularly in the evangelical world, is why we have so much bitterness and heartlessness and division yeah. right now is because we're, we're not honest with ourselves about who we are and about the darkness of our own hearts. Still, that there are corners of our hearts, even for me, that I have to be honest about and that I have to be honest with and that I have to 
really struggle with and fight with and confess to friends. So and I think, offer grace to yourself. Right. And yeah. And do that too. It works both too. ways. So um, yeah, I definitely want to encourage our groups to do that. One way you could do that is to get into a, what's called a micro discipleship group, a group of two or four or two to four uh, uh, people of your same gender that, that generally this is friends. This is people that you can go deeper levels with um, than what you would find in your Bible study. And um, actually in our young adult interest survey, I'm going to, I'm going to push that again. There's a place in there to check if you're interested in doing that. And we're going to have a meeting in, in September for everybody who's checked that to sit, to tell you like, Hey, here's how you do this to go to the next level with people who you are comfortable doing that with and, and grow a little bit deeper and be a little bit more honest and raw and vulnerable so that you can be more about who Jesus um, wants you to be and created you to be. Uh, this is a great place to kind of stop our conversation, but I want our, our listeners to keep talking about this. So of course we'll have a lot of resources in the show notes. We'll have a lot of questions in the show notes. And of course we'll close in a few minutes. Um, with Charlie's uh, edition of this song. I think it's going to be really good. You guys will really, really like it. Fun. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sh- yeah, I bet it was. I bet it was. So um, <laughs> I just want to say thank you all for your time. Charlie, thank you so much for being with us this month. It's been, it's been a blast. Um, yeah. I think our, uh, hopefully our groups have gotten a lot out of it and uh, had some, some key conversation through it all. Um, so parting words for you, Charlie, as we, as we put a close to this series together. Yeah, well, first and foremost, I'll give the shameless plug uh, for those that want more of my music part and, and stuff that I'm creating. If Since we're, I think it's a great episode to include that. I have my own expression and I'm a songwriter at heart too. So if you want to get involved with that, I do have a Patreon, um, but you know, you know where to find me. This is my office and mm-hmm. just come in here and who knows, I'll play a song for you. The chances are there's a, a guitar around, but that specific length link is patreon.com slash charlie woods or just my website spelled with an ey um and that's my artist website by the way that's charlie woods but i'm i've used this i've wanted to use this time in this um series that we've been in to take the videos that i've been creating for each of our episodes and actually go ahead and push those on patreon so it works out pretty conveniently for me i don't have to create for the next month or two um but yeah it's uh my patreon listeners that's a really great place to go Um, I have a few non-believers on there. I have a a few fans of mine and it's essentially a community where everybody gets together because they like my music, which is cool, but that's a place to have church as well. And so I'll be starting to introduce that. If you want to learn more, you can head over there, but um, parting words, just to say, um, just when you think that you are being vulnerable enough with somebody, go a little deeper um, because chances are that's what Jesus would have you do. Um, but do it with uh, discernment and um, go to God in those quiet moments too. And don't be afraid to give yourself grace um, because there, one way to uh, learn a better uh, or to get better at giving grace to others is to first um, learn how to give grace to yourself. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, that's, I, we got to do this again, man. We got to do this again. This is super fun. Absolutely. Sam, any last words before we depart for this episode? Yeah. Um, you know, I think just to, to put a pin in it on my end, there is nothing about you in your humanness that is too far for, too far for God um, to find you, whether it's anxiety, depression, whether it's an addiction, whether it's, um, you know, a habit, whether it's anger or anything else, right? You know, God's there to take all of it. Um, and, you know, if you just really need to find that place where you can be honest with people, sometimes the first step is just being honest with them. You're first, like first, be the first person to do it. Take the initiative, say, you know what, I'm going to be vulnerable and I'm going to trust that you'll be vulnerable with me back. Um, and that's, that's how the trust begins. And that's how you build those connections. And that's how you build intimate, special community. Yeah. And chances are the very thing that you struggle with is something that Jesus wants you to use to help others. Yeah. In a lot of ways, that's true. Well, I'll just close by saying, um, if you are someone out there who's listening to this, who battles with mental illness, like you are loved, you're okay. And there are resources for you and there are professionals for you. And I'm going to put a link in the show notes uh, as well for that, uh, particularly for, for those here in Huntsville of places you can go um, because this is something that the church needs to address. And there are a lot of organizations in town um, that are Christian organizations that help people through this. I'm on the board at the Vine Pastoral Counseling Center. And um, that, that is a, a place I, I direct people to all the time. It is not a counseling center for pastors, although if you're a pastor, you can go there as well. But pastoral counseling just means that they use 
the methods of a pastor of, of shepherding and they use uh, b- the Bible alongside of clinical psychology um, to, to walk with you through, um, through whatever it is that you're facing. And it can be anything from uh, marital problems to pornography to uh, other addictions like that to mental health. So mm-hmm. I do want to make sure that we make clear that um, if you're someone who, who thinks you know, hey, I'm, I might want to get this looked at. Or, or if you're dealing with anxiety right now because of what we're going through as a society, there are places to go. And I want to make sure that everybody out there knows that and knows that it is okay to look into that and it is okay to, to ask for help and to look for more resources. Um, and you are loved as you are, but, but you are also loved and given a family of people around you uh, to help you walk um, one step further each and every day. So please look into those resources and please look into those avenues to do that. With that said, we're going to close this episode with an edition of this song by Charlie Woods, Charlie Lowry. I, oh, man, I could not mix Charlemagne. it up. There you go, Charlemagne. Charlotte. <laughs> Charlotte Woods Lowry. Here's Charlie Lowry with, <laughs> with peace. You'll stay true Even when the lies come Your word remains truth Even when my thoughts don't line up I will stand tall On each promise you made You keep peace is a promise you keep you'll stay true even in the chaos your word remains truth even when my mind wreaks havoc I will be still For I've known all along My Jehovah Shalom There's a peace far beyond All understanding May it ever set my heart at ease During anxiety come I'll remember that peace is a you keep peace is a promise you keep yeah, yeah. Oh, 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 oh. you are Keeper of peace and 
peace is a promise he keeps.